You know, Edith Stein, my girl, also known as St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, said things were in God's plan, which I had not planned at all. I am coming to the living faith and conviction that from God's point of view, there is no chance and that the whole of my life, down to every detail, has been mapped out in God's divine providence and makes complete and perfect sense in God's all-seeing eyes. Now, Edith Stein was a brilliant philosopher. She's also a martyr who sought truth in all things. She fell in love with God, the God of the covenant. She, was, she grew up Jewish and eventually became a Catholic and a Carmelite nun. Every life is a cosmic drama, as St. John Paul II exclaimed, and the testimony of our next speaker is another incredible example of this. Heidi Hess Saxton is a wife and mother, as well as the acquisitions editor for Ave Maria Press. She has more than 20 years' experience in Catholic publishing as both an in-house and freelance editor, and is also the author of seven books, including Lent with St. Teresa of Calcutta and Advent with St. Teresa of Calcutta, as well as My Big Book of Catholic Bible Stories. Heidi received her master's in theology, graduating summa cum laude from Sacred Heart Major Seminary in 2011 with undergraduate degrees in international studies and communications from Azusa Pacific University and missions in theology from Bethany College of Missions. Heidi will be introducing and sharing her experiences working with Father Ubald Rugengoga, Rugerengoga, sorry, Father Ubald Rugiran Goga, who is a Catholic priest in the Gugu Diocese of southeastern Rwanda for 35 years. During the 1994 Rwandan genocide, Father Ubald lost more than 80 members of his family. And that's not to mention more than 45,000 parishioners that Father Ubald lost in the Rwandan genocide. During a trip to Lourdes, France, Father Ubald heard Jesus tell him to carry his cross, the genocide. And in that moment, Father Ubald felt a release from the burden of his sorrows and knew he was called to preach healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And he brings that message to us this afternoon. Father Ubald travels the world speaking of his ministry on healing and evangelization. So please give a warm welcome to Heidi Hess Saxon and Father Ubald. Before we came up here, Father Ubald asked me to please speak quickly so that there's enough time for him to preach. Nobody has ever asked me to speak quickly, but quicker than I normally do, so this should be fun. If you'll listen quickly, I'll speak quickly. So, the man story you're about to hear, uh, Father Ubald Rugirangoga. Can you say that? Rugirangoga. 
Beautiful. Okay. Catholic police from Rwanda. The first time I met Father Ubald was at a women's conference in Minneapolis. Uh, we had a small leadership event the night before, and I saw him praying for these women. And they were being slain in the spirit, which is something I just looked and I thought, oh, dear Jesus, not this. I had become Catholic partly because I had been exposed to some of the traditions of the charismatic movement as a Protestant. And part of the reason I became Catholic was to dive into that rich, solemn, reverent tradition. And so when I saw these women falling over in prayer, I thought, oh, no, this is not what I signed up for. And then Jesus got the last word and he said, I want you to help him write his book. Really? And since that time, that was about two years ago when all that began, and I actually attended one of Father's healing services and was greatly blessed when Jesus touched my life and healed me. And not only did he heal me physically, but he also healed my heart. And that is mostly what I want to talk to you about today, how the healing that Jesus gives through Father Ubald and in other ways are meant to be a sign of a deeper healing God wants to do in our lives. It's not something to be afraid of. In the case of Father Ubald, it is all about Jesus as he processes among us and wants to be with us. And so if you've heard of the healing prayers service that's going to be taking place today, I guess the one thing I want to say to you is don't be afraid. Because Jesus is with us and he wants to heal you and he wants to touch your heart. So um, as I was working with Father Ubald on his book, uh, I, finished, I helped him finish most of the book. And then my husband and I flew to Rwanda in June of 2018. And as I flew over into Kigali and I saw this beautiful land of a, a thousand hills... I looked down and imagined how just 25 years before the, the rivers had been running with blood and the bodies were everywhere, piled up everywhere. A million people killed in just 100 days. Not soldier against soldier, but brother and sister against brother and sister. People would f- flee to the churches for sanctuary and were just slaughtered there thousands by the thousands and thousands. It's unthinkable. But that is what happened. And Father Ubal's life was spared for a very particular reason. And we're going to hear more about that in a few minutes. As I was at uh, the Center for the Secret of Peace, which is Father Ubal's ministry in Rwanda, he built a center there for people who, to come to who are in need of peace and in need of reconciliation and healing. And on a Tuesday morning, we went there, and I saw 10,000 people, probably more, on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Can you imagine? Most people, of course, at work on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. And instead, I saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people lined up in this field just waiting for an encounter with Jesus. And you haven't been to Mass until you've been Mass with Rwandan brothers and sisters who are joyful and happy and free. And it was an experience I'd never forget. One of the people that I saw giving testimony there was a woman who carried a tiny baby in her hands. She had asked Father Ubal for 17 years to pray for her, that she would have a child. And she came forward with this precious baby, and she wanted to thank God for giving her a child. But more than anything, she wanted to say that she was sorry 
For after 17 years, she had given up hope. She had given up, she had gotten angry with God and not answering her prayer. And so she came forward and she said, first of all, I want to say that I'm sorry to Jesus for not trusting him and not believing him. And I want to thank him for my son. It really stuck with me that you know when God heals, it isn't always instantaneously, and it isn't always uh, completely right there on the spot. Sometimes Jesus has a deeper work that He wants to do. So I want to just leave that there for those of you. I'm sure there are people I'm speaking to you right now who have struggled with infertility, struggled with wanting to be more generous with God and welcoming more children into their home, and they're wondering why isn't God answering their prayers. I just have a word for you that maybe Jesus is wanting to do a deeper work in your life right now, like my sister at the center of the secret of peace. So, is that flipping? Okay. Sorry, this is the first time I'm trying this. It's not working quite the way I thought. Okay. That's the center of the secret of peace there. If I go back to the guy in pink, I'm going to give this one more try, and then I'm going to keep on talking here. There we go. So the man on the right here in the, in the pink is named by the name of Stratton Sinzabakira. I didn't say that right, but you'll forgive me. The man here is the man who had given the order for Father Ubal's mother and 80 of his family members who had gone to him for refuge, for sanctuary, and instead he gave the order for them to be killed. While Father was preaching in prison, where he had gone for more than 20 years, uh, he heard uh, Father speak, and he went and he confessed that he was the one who had killed his mother. You'll hear more about that in a minute. But I want to say to you is I got a chance to meet this man and look him in the eye, and I was so struck by the fact that I knew in my head that I was looking at a killer. But when I looked into his eyes, this was a man who had been set free. He was a man who I'm sure regretted very deeply what he had done, but he was not a man who was bound by his past. He had spent 20-something years in prison, but he was free. And you'll hear more about Stratton and how that forgiveness process uh, happened in his life. So how do you forgive the unforgivable? Father Ubald speaks about the five keys that is important for anyone who wants to receive healing because it involves opening your heart to Jesus. You must go with gratitude. You must give and receive forgiveness. You must renounce evil. You must decide to follow Jesus. And you must be open and receive the blessing that God wants to give you. But the second part, the second step of giving and receiving forgiveness is something that causes many people to stumble. How do you forgive the unforgivable? On the slide up here on the left is a picture of Father Ubald's sister, Pascazi. She, her life was spared in the genocide because she was covered by the blood of her 18-month-old daughter who stood up from their hiding place just as the bullets began to fly. She, her daughter was killed instantly. The blood covered her and she fell into a pile of bodies and that is how she managed to survive the, what had happened there. On the right is Claude and Claudette. Four different occasions, uh, 
Claude had tried to kill Claudette with machete, gun, and every manner of very brutal and violent uh, acts towards her four different times. She showed me the scars on her shoulders. She showed me the dent in her forehead. Not only did she forgive him, but when he was uh, freed from prison, she became his sponsor and helped him to return to the Catholic Church. So how do you forgive the unforgivable? It's a work of great grace and mercy. And it all begins with opening your heart and asking Jesus to give you the strength to forgive. How do you stop the fear and hate? Miracle is possible. I'm looking for, there we go. This is the one more picture I wanted to show you. On the right side here of the picture is a woman by the name of Donata. And you'll hear Father speak about her a little bit later, too. I just want to point out the children around her. Donata was the daughter of one of the perpetrators of the violence. And the old elderly women next to her, her husband was killed in the genocide. And Donata decided that she wanted to go and take care of the elderly woman whose children, only surviving son, was far away. I believe he was a soldier. And so she went and she left her mother's home and she moved in with this woman and she continued to care for her and cook for her and clean for her. And when the son would come to visit his mother, she would wash his clothes and cook for him. And over time, the hatred and anger in his heart went away and ultimately they got married. And you see the children there, the oldest son, his name is Patrick Maharo. Maharo means peace. He's Father Ubal's godson. So all these things to give you an idea of... Okay. So I just want to leave you with the idea that um, the message that Father is going to speak, and he's a wonderful speaker, speaker, but I just want to give you the leave with the idea of you remaining open to hearing what Jesus has to say to you, to thank him for what he's done in your life to ask him to put in your heart the name of the person that you most need to forgive or receive forgiveness from, to declare your intention to follow, to renounce evil in all its forms, grudge-carrying, gossip, anger. Declare your intention to follow Jesus and let him change your heart. And finally, just open your hands and receive with thanksgiving the blessings that God wants to give to you. And so now I'd ask you to please join me in welcoming Father Ubal. I thank so much Heidi because she has already said most of what I had to, to tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, my speech is at about extreme horror requires extreme forgiveness. Um, my name is Fava Ubard Rujirangoga. I am the oldest of four children, three brothers, and one sister in my family. I come from Rwanda, the country where occurred the last genocide. When I was a child, some nights 
I would go with my mother and hide in the bush. I was about five or six years old. I didn't understand why we had to sleep in the bush when we had a house. I learned later that it was because of our ethnicity. People from Tutsi ethnicity were persecuted in Rwanda. One night, people from Hutu ethnicity attacked families from Tutsi ethnicity and beat soundly all the men. My father was one of the victims. He had been so hurt that he could not walk. He was getting massage from my mother. When he recovered, he took me to school. I was ready to learn at elementary school. I went with him to school. Every morning, he was a teacher. At that time, I felt happy. Our family was a rich one. One night in 1963, all the men of my village from Tutsi ethnicity were killed by the sword. My father was one of the victims. He was killed with his brother and with many other members of the family. From that day, I became an orphan and my mother a widow with four children. Nobody to have mercy. There was hatred everywhere. It was horror and fear. My mother had to fight alone in order to feed her children. My family became poor. My mother had to cultivate the earth. It was really the struggle for life. That is, in a few words, the account of my childhood, the killing of my father, and the hard work of my mother in order to feed her children after she became a widow. That was the beginning of the crossway to me. About my own crossway, I was the first one to become aware of the new reality to help my mother working hard, to realize that there was no father anymore in the family, that I and my two brothers and sister were orphans. We didn't eat meat in our family. We didn't drink any more tea because we had no money to buy them. Our mother took care of us, has helped each other, have helped each of us spiritually. And at the end of elementary school, I was chosen to go and study in the priesthood school. My two first years in that priesthood school were without problems. My mother worked hard and could pay my school fees. During my third year, my brother also joined me at the same priesthood school. And from that moment, my mother had serious problems 
getting money in order to pay school fees for us both. Everything I needed, he had the same right. When our mother remarked that we took all the money she had at the house, she wept. It was my second time to see her weep. The first one was when our father was killed. Those mother's tears, when we took all the money from the house, would be later occasion of my priesthood vocation. My mother went on working hard for us, and unfortunately, in 1973, we had to flee my brother and me to Burundi in order to escape from Hutu seminarian students who wanted to kill us because of belonging to Tutsi ethnicity. I fled uh, to Burundi in, uh, uh, in 1972. It was a Sunday evening, February 26, 72, when seminarians from Hutu ethnicity wanted to kill those from Tutsi ethnicity. The priest who could not control the situation helped us to escape. In fact, it was politicians who had excited the Hutu seminarians in order to make trouble in society. Arriving at home, it was also trouble. We had no choice, my brother and I. We left our mother and fled to Burundi, where I went on studying from 1973 till 1978. As a teenager, I lost my faith and was converted by the Virgin Mary when praying rosary. About my conversion, it was an, an after, afternoon coming back from playing football at um, 16 o'clock when Nazir Kibuti, a student, shared with me that he felt well, that he had to go and take a shower pray his rosary, and then study. I did not understand because I was one of those who didn't like prayers, even though we were in a priesthood school. It was a heated discussion with him, trying to convince me to pray. At that time, prayer had no place in my life. Nazir had lost the, the argument because we were so many against him. In fact, other seminarians came to listen to us discussing on prayer. It was a good debate, and many of the others agreed with me. Nazir went away ashamed, and I was so proud for a few minutes, but in my mind, I was not so quiet. I went to the chapel to see if Nazir was praying his rosary. Arriving there, I saw Nazir 
praying carefully his rosary. He was not alone. There were about 30 other seminarians praying. It was an occasion of conversion and the beginning of a new life. Remarking that there were seminarians who prayed freely without any priest behind them, I took that prayer as serious and tried to pray also. I prayed the rosary, helped by my fingers because I had no rosary. When it came time to pray the mystery, I didn't know the mysteries, so thought about my life. When thinking about my life, I discovered that God took care of me even if I didn't pray to him. My question was this, how did my mother have money to school fees for me and for my brother? I remembered the day she had wept when we took all the money from the house at the beginning of the school. There was no doubt in my mind God had helped her to get the money and also because we were refugees, Ash Seher had helped us with school fees. I discovered the presence of God in my life. I felt happy. I had prayed. The days after, I continued praying the rosary, and the conviction of God's love became so great to me that I decided to offer all my life to him by becoming a priest. I had to become a priest in order to preach love in Rwanda. If I was a refugee in Burundi, it meant that Rwanda's people didn't love each other. In 1978, I was finished with my seminary studies in Burundi and went back to Rwanda. I arrived in Rwanda in 1978 and began with my major studies in the seminary of Nyachibanda. And in July 1984, I was ordained a priest and had my first mission in Nyamasheke Parish, Changogu Diocese in Rwanda. I tried to preach love and live love. In 1987, I felt a new vocation to pray for healing of sick people. And in 1991, I received from God a knowledge gift. I was the pastor in the parish, happy to save God. I preached many retreats at the parish in order to help Christians to grow in faith and love. What horrible surprise when the genocide against the people from Tutsi ethnicity Okay, I realized that people from Hutu ethnicity in my parish killed their brothers and sisters in faith. Myself, I escaped miraculously. They wanted me to be killed or so. They didn't recognize me as their pastor. What a pity. 45 people 
45,000 people from Tutsi ethnicity were killed in three days. There were refugees at the parish who, who, uh, who have been killed there. This news devastated me at the bishop's house where I was a refugee after being chased from my parish. Every night I wept, thinking that I had just failed to become a priest in order to preach love and live love. And as you are fruit, you have genocide in your parish. At the bishop's house where I took refuge, people from my parish wanted my head to be cut off and to have a procession with it on a stake. First, I was ready to be killed and accompany many of my parishioners put on the sword to heaven. When I was praying, I listened to God, a voice telling me, that I had to get refuge abroad because he wanted me to survive and evangelize. And in the evening of May 27th, 94, I escaped with guided through the bush. We crossed the Rusizi River and arrived in Congo for Mazair in the morning of May 28th. I escaped the genocide against Tutsi to evangelize. It was a horror. It was so hard to forgive. My heart, my heart was broken. I claimed that I forgave those who killed my mother, my parishioners, my relatives. Unfortunately, I went on weeping every night until I was healed at Lourdes during the stations of the cross. I had not escaped, uh, accepted my cross to, to, to carry. The genocide against people of Tutsi ethnicity was a form for me, a cross to carry. Without accepting it as a cross to carry, nobody can forgive. About forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, the genocide against the Tutsi had hurt me so much that I felt tired. I was like a commander of an army who had lost the fight. I needed new energy to go on fighting. After six months in Europe, six months of rest and prayers, I decided to go back to Rwanda. I arrived in Rwanda uh, January fifth, uh, nineteen ninety-five. I had no time to lose. I immediately began to help people with their inner wounds, listening to them and praying with them. I said masses with hearing prayers. Many people were helped, and I realized why God told me to go and get refuge abroad when I hid myself in the bishop's house. It was to evangelize and help people to begin with new life.
to speak about forgiveness and reconciliation. It was not so easy. The victims of genocide were so angry against to those who made genocide to them. Those who made genocide were not ready to beg pardon, even to recognize that they had made genocide. It took a long time to convince the victims to forgive and those who made genocide to beg pardon. After four years of evangelization, speaking about forgiveness and reconciliation, praying for healing all over the country, my bishop gave me a new mission to be pastor of Mushaka Parish. I had been there after evangelization in prison. I had experience of people who had made genocide against Tutsi ethnicity already in prison. I had to have experience of victims of genocide as a pastor at the parish. I did my best to help parishioners to think about that ethnic problem and they concluded that to be from Hutu ethnicity or Tutsi ethnicity was not a problem. The real problem was ideology. Everyone was created in God's image. We had to fight together against the genocide ideology in society. I helped Christians to fight, uh, to fight it by preaching retreats. The first retreat I preached was for victims of genocide, people from Tutsi ethnicity who escaped genocide against them were afraid of their offenders who were coming out of prison. They were thinking that they would kill them in order to remove all signs of genocide. No survivor from genocide had to leave, so they fought. The retreat I had with them helped them. After praying, we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, where St. Paul says, Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. God's word had to guide us in our discussions, and the victims of genocide at the end of the retreat were ready to forgive because the good one must triumph over the bad one. The second retreat was for those who made genocide. The same God's word in Romans chapter 12 verse 21 has helped them as well. After praying, I preached encouraging them to beg pardon in order to be free. They also concluded from their retreat that the good one must triumph over the bad one. The third retreat was uh, for victims of genocide, perpetrators of genocide, and rescuers. Victims of genocide, perpetrators of genocide, and rescuers of victims of genocide had a retreat together. 
the victims of genocide against Tutsi ethnicity had in our wounds. They thought that everyone from Hutu ethnicity were bad because those who killed their relatives were executing in the name of Hutu ethnicity. I invited the victims of genocide to stand up. I invited the rescuers to go and stand next to the one he rescued. The rescuers were from Hutu ethnicity. I remarked that every victim of genocide was surrounded by six or seven people from Hutu ethnicity who worked together during the genocide to save him, to rescue a Tutsi during the genocide time was not so easy. You hid him at your home, and when your family was suspected, you gave him to another family, and so, and so on, till he was saved, rescued. I asked the victims of genocide if all people from Hutu ethnicity were bad people, and they answered that those who rescued them were good ones. I went on explaining that to belong to such an ethnicity is not a bad thing. What is bad is the ideology. To those who perpetrated genocide, I thought that when they were killing Tutsi people, those from Hutu ethnicity as themselves, who were good Christians, were rescuing Tutsi instead of killing them. It was time for conversion in order to forgive and to beg pardon. We have always been helped by God's word in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 21. The retreat was so successful that it was the start of new life, for forgiveness and reconciliation. Their discussions were open and respectful. The parishioners of Mushaka Parish facilitated the traditional court, Gachacha, which had to judge those who made genocide. It was at the end of the traditional court that the Christians of Moshaka Parish decided that those who made genocide had to be spiritually helped by getting some lessons of catechesis. After three months of catechesis, the one who made genocide takes a break to, to go see the victims of genocide in the families. He begs pardon and comes again accompanied by the widow or orphans who plead for him to go ahead with catechesis after forgiving him. At the end of this process, it is time to receive communion of Eucharist sacrament once again. It is a great feast 
of forgiveness and reconciliation at the parish. There are so many witnesses to show that people can once more live together after the genocide. Me, personally, I have forgiven the cheer of my mother during the genocide and have paid the school fees for his two children. They had nobody to take care of them when their mother died and their father was in prison. Forgiveness requires mercy. I praise God, the eldest, it is a boy. He made building schools and he has been ready. He can make his life. He is a builder. His sister, after high school studies, she came to me smiling and said, I am ready with high school studies and I want to go on at university. I want to become medical doctor. Medical doctor. Medical studies are so expensive and so long. <laughs> but, okay, I have agreed with Jesus to help her. I said, okay, I shall try. I began to pay uh, school fees for her. And when you are merciful, you must be really sincere. I, I said, if this one studies in Rwanda, she will be with trauma. Other students at university will say to her, will charge her, saying, this is the daughter whose father has cheated Hubert's mother. And I was thinking that she could not study well. So I sent her abroad. I sent her in Burundi to study in Burundi. I paid so much, but I am so happy. This last February 7th, there is a, a week, she graduated. She is now a medical doctor. She is a medical doctor. I feel free. I feel free. Forgiveness makes you free. When you forgive and then you are merciful, you are free. You feel free. Um, without mercy, your forgiveness, your forgiveness is not complete. A son married a daughter whose father had killed his father and made his mother a widow. They are now have a happy family with three children. They made such decision to get married after listening to me preaching. After um, violence, 
the offenser as well as the victim are closed. After violence, the offenser as, the vict- as well as the victim are closed. And no one can open for himself the key to open to the offenser belongs to the victim when he says to the offenser, I forgive you. And the key to open to the victim belongs to the offenser when he says, I ask for forgiveness. They, after violence, the victim as well as the offenser need each other to be open. Hmm? To be open. Bon. Deb, where are you with your friend? Come here. I finish by kind of demonstration. Okay. Um, I know Deb. She's a friend of me. She's a good one. But, but you accept that now. I charge you to be bad woman, bad lady. Oh. And you make room to Trisha. Trisha. And Trisha says, Oh my God, I never, never met such bad woman like uh, Deb. I will never, never, never forgive her. Then, like this. So, because Trisha does not want to forgive. Uh, Deb, she's going to cry. No, no, like this. <laughs> like this. And then, oh, here, yeah, yeah, yes. And then, she's going to carry her because she does not want to forgive her. Go, try to move, move like slowly. No, no, don't, no, no, don't go quick. Don't go quickly. You can hurt yourself. So, slowly, slowly, slowly. But move, move, move. Okay. Stop. Just a little. How do you feel? Are you comfortable? Well. <laughs> do you re- really feel well? You, no. <laughs> you don't. You, you are you feel well? Are you feeling well? No. So you have to forgive her. If you don't forgive her, you are carrying her, and it is not so good. Go, go ahead. Go on carrying her because we did it for you. Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> stop there. Stop there. Okay, stop. If you don't forgive her, you will be carrying her all your life. Oh. <laughs> it is not good. <laughs> so forgive her so you are free. Forgive her. Ah. Okay. Now, you are free now. But, but also, but also, Deb has not asked for forgiveness. So you are going to carry her also because you didn't ask for forgiveness. No, right? Please forgive so slowly move slowly slowly she does not want to ask for forgiveness and she's calling her <laughs> are you comfortable no <laughs> so, suppose suppose that you you die and you go to Jesus calling her Jesus will ask you Wait, what, what about you, uh, Deb? What are you carrying? Eh? What will be your response to Jesus? You will say, I, I never for, uh, ask you for... I never forgave 
<laughs> I never asked for forgiveness. Then Jesus will not accept you because <laughs> you come to him carrying someone. Someone. <laughs> So uh, ask for now you ask for forgiveness and uh, you uh, and then you can give a hug a hug okay <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are both free <laughs> Th- thank you <laughs> it it is what i wanted to show you if if you don't forgive you are with kind of burden to carry and you are not comfortable if we don't ask for, for forgiveness, it is the same. And we are Christians. If you, you have to go home when you die, and then you are carrying someone, Jesus will ask you, what about you? What are you carrying? <laughs> Those who don't forgive have no room in heaven. Those who don't ask for forgiveness, they have no room. So please, Please make a decision to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. Be apostles of forgiveness and reconciliation. The message I give to the world, it is universal. Even if we have had genocide in my country, but here also you have violence, domestic violence. There are so many, many divorces because of unforgiveness. Evil spirit uses so much unforgiveness to destroy families. Your wife is not holy one. She can, she, she can make wrong to you, but we have to forgive her. Your husband is not holy man. He can be wrong to you. You have to forgive him. Evil spirit is using so much unforgiveness to destroy families. Please, after my speech, be apostles of forgiveness and reconciliation. With forgiveness, we can stop and fight violence forever. Thank you so much for listening to me. I thank you.